0: Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. It was Christmas Day, 1776. The Declaration of Independence had been signed the previous July as Feta British colonists demanded separation from Great Britain due to non-existent representation in British Parliament, The Continental Army had endured months of intense fighting with the most powerful military force on earth at the time, having lost numerous battles and desperately needing a victory that would turn the war in their favor. George Washington realized the only option they had lay in a surprise attack. Gathering his top leaders together, he laid out a plan. Waking up on a cold morning, the ragtag Continental Army shivered in the cold, wintry conditions. The weather worsened throughout the day, and you know many wished they were simply back at home with their families instead of huddled on the banks of the Delaware River in freezing temperatures. Most were deeply discouraged and ready to quit on the cause, leaving Washington to urge them to stay and give him one last fighting effort. Deep in his soul, he felt that the future of the Patriot uprising lay in this one strategic move. Washington's strategy of surprise Necessitated that the army leave camp and move overnight. The plan being that they would cross the river under cover of dark and march to Trenton, New Jersey to spring an unexpected attack on the German Hessian troops who were allies with the British Army. Because it was winter, the British and their allies had retired to their indoor headquarters in hopes that the inclement weather would discourage the Patriot uprising, or at the least delay it enough until spring when the Brits could end the rebellion. Especially with it being Christmas, Washington knew the troops stationed at Trenton would least expect a military engagement and would likely be hung over the next morning from their holiday merriment. This was the perfect opportunity to move in quickly and strike fast, seizing supplies and stunning the enemy. Being able to grab a surprise victory would do much for morale and would greatly help the Patriot cause. But Washington did not tell his soldiers the plan. Most of them knew hardly any details about their upcoming mission, only that they were to form along the shoreline of the Delaware at nightfall and be ready to cross. He instructed his officers, who obviously were in on the plan, to read the words of a recently published pamphlet to the troops prior to their mission launch that evening. It was called the American Crisis and was penned by an intellectual named Thomas Paine. As the brave men prepared to set out in boats they'd obtained from a local they heard the inspiring words read to them. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is only dearness that gives everything its value. All through the night, as boats made their way through icy waters, and oars lightly rowed twenty-four hundred soldiers from one side of the river to the other, these men must have asked themselves which type of fighter they were. Were they a summer soldier who only wanted to fight if it was convenient? They'd seen some of those in the army, and they'd usually left the cause after a while or were they winter warriors who were willing to endure the harshest of elements and the worst of times because the price was too high to do otherwise? Five years ago, I actually had the opportunity to go to the exact location on the banks of the Delaware where this event took place close to 250 years ago. On both the Pennsylvania and New Jersey sides of the river, there are museums where you can visit and get more information about the crossing and what really happened there that Christmas night. There is a house down on the New Jersey shoreline where Washington and some of his officers took cover from the cold for a short time, thanks to the generosity of the Patriot family who lived there, and thus planned the last remaining details of their surprise attack. The Johnson Ferry House, established in 1740, is open for personal tours, and I got a chance to walk through the place and take some pictures. The guide told me, imagine George Washington standing right in front of this very fireplace, and warming himself while he talked strategy with his top leaders it really was an incredible experience to stand there and remember this story while getting to put myself in the moment a sign bears a descriptive account of what the scene was like as the soldiers landed along with the names of the units that crossed that day i was interested to learn that even with most of the army not knowing anything about their mission Washington had directed one of his generals to surround the landing area so that nobody could leave or enter, and that he had ordered a profound silence to be enjoined and no man to quit his ranks on the pain of death. No fires for warmth were permitted either. Washington knew this plan had to work or the war for independence would likely be over. Nobody could blow this. Just a short few steps up the gentle rise from the New Jersey shoreline, there is a well-worn plaque which reads, Continental Lane, road over which Washington's army began its march to Trenton, December twenty-sixth, 1776. As you follow the trail, you are suddenly transported back in time, as you think of those brave individuals traversing this rough terrain in the snow and the cold, little knowing that what they were about to do would shape history forever. It's important to note here that Washington was traveling with only one-third of his troops, The combination of a bad storm and an ice-choked river had turned back two of his columns, leaving only the main force with Washington in charge to make the crossing. Picture these 2,400 brave men trudging through snow and bone-chilling cold, silently doing their duty with little to no information on what lay ahead. Imagine horses, cannons, supplies, and people all spending Christmas away from their loved ones, making their way through the woods on the simple orders of their leader— who was willing to roll the dice, as they say, in order to give what appeared to be a dying patriot effort one last chance. Having made it across the Delaware, they now set out on a nine-mile march toward Trenton, New Jersey. Having walked a portion of that continental lane, I now got in the car and drove the road route to Trenton, crossing stone bridges that spanned babbling brooks and thinking of the fact that these very men walked on foot past all of this. They traversed this exact terrain, saw these same trees and woodland. Talk about history coming alive. Already behind schedule thanks to the storm, the army made it to the outskirts of Trenton just before daybreak on December 26th. It was only then that the troops finally were informed of the plan. Washington divided his force into two columns, putting one general in charge of the northern attack and the other in charge of cutting off the line of retreat toward the south, The Hessian troops quartered there at the Trenton barracks were, as Washington had suspected, completely caught off guard by the surprise attack, and a running fight through town ended up in a decidedly one-sided victory. Most of the enemy were captured, and the Hessian commander mortally wounded. Washington's army suffered no deaths, nobody captured or missing, and only five wounded, while the Hessians suffered 22 dead, 83 wounded, and 8 to 900 missing or captured. It was a brilliant military move, to say the least. The plan had worked to perfection and proved to be the turning point in the war. Hours earlier, defeated army looked to be on its way out, but now was re-energized and inspired, and the revolutionary cause still survived. Over the coming days, Washington's army would cross and recross the Delaware again and win another two unexpected victories, but the war would be far from over. The next winter, those same troops would endure an even harsher winter while headquartered at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. The ranks would be decimated by rampant disease, semi-starvation, lack of supplies, and bitter cold. The war would not end for another seven years, finally dying out in the fall of 1783. There would be many more times during that span that would try men's souls and prove the difference between the summer soldier and the winter warrior. At numerous points, Washington would have to beg the soldiers to stay the course and keep fighting, even though he knew they wanted so badly to simply go home. Thanks to their persevering, the colonies won their freedom, and we still have a country over 240 years later. But would they have pressed on, had they not been reminded that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph? Perhaps the rallying cry of Thomas Paine was what they needed to force them to decide what they were made of. Were they sunshine patriots who only would come to the fight if they felt like it, or were they fighters who were willing to endure the harshest conditions because they trusted their leader and they believed enough in the cause of liberty? From this incredible story in history, there are a few lessons I believe we can take away for ourselves when it comes to how we handle the challenges presented to us in our own daily lives. Number 1. God, like General Washington, sometimes gives us orders without explanation tells us a direction, but leaves us in the dark as to where he's moving and what the ultimate plan is, simply asks us to trust him and obey even though we don't understand. This is where faith comes in, the ability to follow where he is leading and know that the plan is good even if you don't understand it. Obedience doesn't always have to make sense in order to be carried out. Human nature desires explanations and details, but that's not always how God chooses to operate. Sometimes he knows it's better for us if we don't have all the information ahead of time and are simply required to follow him and be content to find out why later on. If George Washington had told the soldiers the plan ahead of time, any number of complications could have arisen. He had to literally keep them in the dark for as long as possible to achieve the greatest chance at military success. God often functions the same way. As he once reminded the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't it enough for you that he knows the plan? You don't necessarily have to know everything that is going on. God doesn't owe you a reason or explanation, but you are commanded to trust him and follow where he is going. You will likely understand later, just not now. Number two, there are seasons when God tells us to be silent, to simply trust the plan and not ask questions. Stillness and silence is very important to God. We don't speak of it much in Christian circles today, but it's a concept we would do well to give more attention to. When you look at Scripture, the value of being quiet before God and simply surrendering to His Lordship is very clear. Psalm 46:10, Be still and know that I am God. Exodus 14:14, 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Job six, twenty-four: Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. Growth happens both in asking questions and in being silent. We often love the asking questions part more. We desire answers to everything. But sometimes God just needs us to get out of the way and let Him work to stop talking, and just say yes. George Washington knew that any sound from anybody as they crossed and began their march to Trenton would give their plan away. And sometimes God knows that in the abundance of words and conversation about the plan, it will be worse for us than if we would simply just show up and shut up. God cannot blow a plan. It's impossible for Him to do so. But we sure can blow a plan, and there are seasons where God wants us to open our ears instead of our mouth. To listen, to learn, to trust, instead of trying to figure everything out and ask why. It's enough that we can trust the who behind the why. We'll figure out what we need to know someday. Number three, there is far greater satisfaction and reward in having stood a terrible test than in achieving a victory at too easy a cost. As Payne noted, what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. These days, there's a cultural idea that good things in life must come easy. The success and achievement and everything valuable can be had at the snap of a finger. There are dozens of ways to speed up and obtain anything. There are apps for ordering food so you don't even have to leave your house to grab a to-go order. At the click of a button, you can find someone to date. Instantly, now you can download a book to read instead of waiting for a copy to arrive in the mail. Instead of writing a personal note to someone, now you can just text or video chat them anywhere in the world. While all of these things have made life faster and more convenient in certain ways, they've also complicated life in other ways because now we expect everything to be immediate. We become worse at waiting and holding out for things. And thus it becomes easier to take valuable things for granted because they come too easy. We've lost the ability as a society to savor things, to appreciate and enjoy the process. Life has become more about the destination than the journey. And as a result, the blessings and precious things worth having and the excitement and build them to something have been lessened. By trying to rush our way through things, we've given up the gift of time. We've taken away the value of time because we are supposedly trying to save time. Going back to the Patriot cause for independence, I think of all those who left the fight early on, who couldn't find it in themselves to keep going, and who bailed on the fight. While they gave some to the war, They certainly did not enjoy the level of satisfaction of those who were willing to give everything. The summer soldier who shrank from the service of his country when it most needed him lost out on the blessings someone who suffered at Valley Forge or crossed the Delaware experienced. The ones who stuck with Washington and believed enough in the cause to risk life, fortune, and sacred honor, for it, felt an entirely different sense of victory upon the British surrender than someone who had fought in a couple minor skirmishes and then returned home. When you follow Jesus through the worst conditions, when you've embraced the journey and haven't quit on the process, you arrive on the other side a different person than the one who gave up because it got too hard. Years ago, I remember hearing of a dad who told his children while they were growing up, kids, life is a battleground, not a playground. Don't expect things to be easier that you're just here to have a good time. Things will be hard and you will be tested, but it will be worth it. We've honestly set ourselves up for disappointment by expecting that life is all about getting somewhere the quickest, simplest way possible. Taking the interstate might still get you there, but you could miss the beauty and the adventure of taking the more scenic route. God doesn't always give you a straight road to the places He wants you to go. Often He allows twists and turns that keep us guessing sometimes at what He's doing. But that's okay, and it adds to the interest and the refining quality of the journey called life. Author Anne Voskamp reminds us, Life is one hard battle, and there's no walking off that battlefield called life. You have to keep hanging on when you don't know how to go on. I'm sure there were times those soldiers wanted to quit. Think of the terrible conditions they suffered. Letters and journals that have survived tell us of the horrific conditions they found themselves in. Their feet wrapped in rags because they had no shoes. Their ammunition limited because of lack of proper supplies. Their diet anything but nutritious as they scrounged to eat whatever they could, food rations being extremely limited. These guys had it bad. And yet, they persevered. They won liberty for the world because they were willing to be uncomfortable. Because they viewed life as a battle, it gave them perspective to fight the real battles when it counted most. As I stood in the courtyard of the Trenton barracks and looked at those buildings which still stand today, I was reminded of what inspired those 2,400 men to pull off one of the most stunning military feats in history. As night fell on Christmas Day, they felt defeated. As they stood on the very shores I'd stood on a couple hours before, they little knew what lay ahead, but they knew who would lead them there, and they trusted that. I thought of the officers reading Penn's words to those cold, discouraged men and their hearts being animated by sentences of hope. I love a man that can smile in trouble, Payne said later on in the pamphlet, that can gather strength from distress and go brave by reflection. 'Tis the business of little minds to shrink, but he whose heart is firm and whose conscience approves his conduct will pursue his principles to death. By perseverance and fortitude we have the prospect of a glorious issue, by cowardice and submission the sad choice of a variety of evils." Imagine what the world might have looked like if those men had not been stirred by those words and had just decided the fight wasn't worth it. Imagine if they just quit on the cause and had not been willing to trust Washington's leadership. So much would have ended up vastly different. So what kind of fighter are you? Are you a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot, always looking for the easy way out and finding a convenient way to excuse yourself when the going gets tough always asking for the reasons why instead of trusting and acting in faithful obedience? Or are you a winter warrior? Are you like the men of 1776 who deemed a cause worth fighting for dear enough to give up all aspects of earthly comfort? Are you among those special ones who don't mind being tried by fire, who prize the reward on the other side more than the pain that comes from getting there, who love the journey more than the destination and the process more than the prize? who embrace the necessary hardships because the goal of becoming more like Jesus is all that matters? Depending on our response and our attitude, we can be one or the other. We can be summer soldiers or winter warriors, and the choice is up to us. Which one will you choose? Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at Open to Grace 2015, Instagram and Parlor at Open to Grace Alaska, and on MeWe under my name, Catherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are.